Back in December, we had our missionaries from East Asia here, and uh, while they were here, had opportunity to give testimony of a work that had happened there in November. We had a team there with them in November, and uh, our team went with a plan. They had trained and prepared. We prayed for them. And when they got there, that whole plan was shot down as government officials approached our team asking some pretty direct questions and seeking to intimidate. Made it very clear to our team that they were being watched. So our team was supposed to be going into villages and training and doing some other things and all that was just put away. Instead, they now knew that their role would be to be um, those who were prayer walking and they would just be in and around the city. And part of what they did was just do some tourist stuff and they went to a Buddhist temple. And a young man approached them and um, in pretty good English said, hey, are you guys Christians? Well, they were already a little on edge having already been approached with uh, authorities with spot on English to have another person come to them was a a little uh, unusual, but they acted in faith and said, as a matter of fact, yes, we are Christians. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. And the young man said, good, because my grandmother was. And she gave me a Bible, and I need someone to explain to me what this thing means. So they met with him. They talked with him, and he came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. I got this picture from our missionaries uh, last week. This is his baptism that took place in a house church, in an underground church. Uh, that's how they do it there. It's a tiny bathtub. <laughs> I don't think my leg would fit in that. But, you know, you think about what they're having to do. I mean, this morning we had two professions of faith at 930. Their families were here. It was on the big screen. Uh, it, it'll be put out. And I'm not in any way worried that I'll be arrested when I leave here today. I'm in no way worried that my house is being burned down because I baptized two people today. Before they baptized this young man, I want you to listen to what they asked him. Have you put your trust in Jesus for salvation, believing he died on the cross for your sins and was raised on the third day? And he said, yeah, very loud. Do you know that Jesus has forgiven all your sins? And he said, yeah. He said, will you follow Jesus and never turn back? He said, yeah. And they said, when you encounter difficulties, when others curse you, hit you, arrest you, imprison you, or threaten to kill you, will you not turn back and never again worship idols? And he said, yeah. Friends, our lot in life in Christ is easy. Let's be so careful about what we complain about. We do not want to appear as foolish as we are in front of our brothers and sisters who are giving up so much to do what we freely have done this morning. And let's remember, bless you, let's remember, God had a divine purpose for our team being there. They thought they knew the plan, they prayed, they prepared, they thought they had it all figured out. And God said, I'm so glad you came because I have this divine purpose for you. This is why you've come. This is why they took up the gift for Christ. This is why you're here. Because there's going to be one who is in heaven today because we had a team that was willing to go and join God in what he was doing. God has a divine purpose for your life.
God has a divine purpose for your sickness, for your challenges, your trials, your success, and everything in between. Here's what we know. As we're in this series, we can't believe we're almost done with this series. We're kind of in the middle of going towards the end of it. As we're looking at these, these early verses in Colossians, there are two scriptures that undergird this entire series. The first one is Psalm 139, verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Our story was written before our lives began. That means God has a destiny for all of us. We are fully responsible. Hebrews 9.27 makes that very clear. We are fully responsible to find and fulfill our destiny that God has written this story for our life. But make no mistake, it is he that has written the story. And those he has saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, as explained in Ephesians 8 and 9, also have this promise. And, and I'm sorry, not Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. The second verse that undergirds this series, Psalm 139, 16, and also Ephesians 2, 10. We are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Before we were born, God destined us for a life and prepared us for the works that he wanted to do through us. It is our job to join God in what he is doing. To do that, we have to believe in God's divine purpose. We have to trust God's divine purpose. We have to sense and see that there is a divine purpose in all the things that we have in our lives. And what we want to see and focus on today is the fact that faith in Christ and friends in Christ have a divine purpose. How we go through life, who we go through life with, are extremely important because they are a part of God's divine purpose. The main focus, as you'll see in your outline, is that faith in the gospel and love for the saints are fundamental to God's divine purpose. Everybody in this room has faith. You right now are living by faith in something. What is the object of your faith? Whatever the object of your faith is, it, it, it defines who you are. It drives what you do. It gives you hope, joy, peace, and strength. Jesus Christ has come to be the object of our faith. If Jesus Christ is not the object of your faith, and by the way, you have faith in something or someone, if it is not in Jesus Christ, you have a dying hope. You have a limited joy, limited strength. If Jesus Christ is the object of your faith, you have a living hope. You have the almighty power of God and his joy in your heart, which gives you eternal peace in Christ. This is God's will. And God works in ways to, to reveal that to us. And if you have come to faith in Christ, you have friends in Christ. And these friends are fellow sojourners with you in this foreign land. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. And these friends are here as brothers and sisters that they might help us and that we might help them. We have friends in Christ so that we can have accountability relationships, so that we can have confidants. Last week, I think it was last week, my days feel like hours and my weeks, you know, it just, everything, it's going so fast. I can't remember, my wife will correct me later, but I think it was last week that we got together with our small group. It may have been two weeks ago. I'm tired, don't hold this, the, the, the dates to me. We hadn't met in a while, 
And so we got together to commit to being together and we set our dates. And as we drove away that night, I, I, I just had to praise God. So I thought about those people. They're our friends in Christ. They have been there and we've been there for each other through pregnancies, births, deaths, funerals, job changes, successes, graduations, defeats, failures, pain, everything in between. It's been a joy. It's been a delight. This is the will of God, that we have faith in Christ and friends in Christ. And in our text, we see what faith and friends do for our lives. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, go with me now to Colossians chapter 1. I would typically ask our reader to come up, but Ava is sick. Her mom messaged me this morning, and uh, so Ava can't read, so I got to read my own, uh, my own text. I'm working double duty, guys. Y'all better be praying, all right? Um, before I read, I want to pray for Ava, and I also want to just, some names have popped in my head as I've prayed today. Um, I know some of you are probably aware of someone with sickness. How many of you know someone who has uh, stomach flu, congestion, strep throat, or the flu? Show of hands. So in just a minute, when I pray, I'm going to pause, and I just want you to say the name of that person out loud uh, as we pray, and let's pray for their healing today, okay? Let's pray. Father, first I want to pray for Ava, and I pray that you would heal her. And Lord, we all know someone that is sick, and I pray that you would heal them. Say their name. Father, heal these that we have brought to you, and we trust you for this. We pray for your divine power to be at work even now. And Lord, as we now get ready to uh, look at your word, read your word, um, Lord, what we know not teach us, and what we are not make us, and we have not give us for the glory of your great name. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word, and we're going to pick up where we left off last week. In verse 5, we're going to pick up in the second part that begins with the, the, the prepositional phrase, of. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. If you would be seated. Again, the book of Colossians was written to the church at Colossae. This is a church that the Apostle Paul that we know of never visited and did not know personally. Epaphras apparently had come to saving faith when Paul was preaching in AD 52 to 55. He spent three years in Ephesus, and it's our understanding that Epaphras came to saving faith, went back and shared the gospel in Colossae, and that church was formed. Paul is writing from prison when he wrote this letter, and what seems to have happened is that the church had taken up like a gift for Christ the way we do and sent Epaphras on a mission trip to help Paul. And while he was there, he told Paul about some problems that they were having back at Colossae. And the problems uh, were that there were people that were using Christian terms, but didn't have biblical definitions. You got to understand that the devil always loves to tell a lie. And the best way, the best way to get someone to believe a lie is to put just enough truth in it that it hooks them. 
You got to be very careful of, of those who claim to be Christians, who claim to, to know Christ and speak on his behalf, who use Christian terms, but not biblical definitions. And, and so what Paul is dealing with there is that very thing. So under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote this letter uh, to the church at Colossae and sent it with Epaphras. Now he's already made introductions as we saw in, in verse one and then in week two, verse two. Last week we saw where he was praying for them always. Look at that in verses um, three, four, in the first part of verse five. It says, we, we're always thanking God for you as we're praying for you. Now notice what he prayed for. If you didn't circle that last week, and I apologize, I didn't give a lot of, as much emphasis as I should on this. Paul loves to use uh, faith and love and hope. You'll find those words interwoven throughout his letters. 1 Corinthians 13 comes to my mind now. But notice what, how he uses them there. He uses faith and love. And then he says there in verse five, based on the foundation of hope, that hope that we have in heaven. So we have faith and love because of our hope that, that is in heaven. And now he's building on that argument and he's pointing to, to these, these realities so that we will, we will actually experience them, so that they will be real to us in our faith and in our friendships. You know, there's a phrase that I, I find myself using. I always smile when I hear it. This is getting real. Have you heard it? Has anyone ever heard someone say, this is getting real now? Um, I, I use that term, this, that phrase this week uh, as it pertains to our pregnancy center. You know, I don't know what it is, but in my mind, even though we've had these openings, even though we've had some folks that have, um, have been ministered to already, and it's just been great. I don't know what it, something clicked on Thursday when Pastor Bill came to my office and he shared these facts with me. 10 folks have come, nine advocates and seven ultrasounds. They saw seven babies in the womb last week. And in that moment, I just thought to my, this is getting real. So Thursday when I was leaving, I looked over and I saw cars over at the pregnancy center. Tears in my eyes, I just, Lord, bless those who are there right now. Bless them, help them. Because it's getting real. Real lives are being impacted. This is getting real. And, and, and what, what the apostle Paul has started saying, guys, this is getting real. This, this faith, this love, this hope, it's, it's real, and it's going to be realized through your faith and friends. So that's the first thing to note. Faith and friends in Christ make the gospel of Jesus realized. It's real. He talks about this faith, this love, this hope, and he says, of this you have heard before. Now notice these, these words. In the word of the truth, the gospel. That definite article is very important. It's funny, even when I read it this morning, it stumbled off of my tongue because it, it's so odd. Why in the word of the truth, of the gospel? Because there's one. There is the word, the truth, the gospel. The word of truth is what they heard. Now, Wiersbe reminds us of this. I love Warren Wiersbe, great commentary on Colossians. There are many messages and ideas that can be called true, but only God's word can be called truth. Make sure you understand the distinction between true and truth. Many ideas can be said to be true, but only God's word is truth. True things are defined as accurate. So if I had, okay, this is a thing, this is a book. That's true, that's a true statement about this thing. Truth defines all things. Everyone in this room has an authority for what you call truth. Everyone uses that word. What does that word mean to you specifically? Truth. What defines truth? What you feel? 
what the government says, was a, what a professor says, what someone wrote in a book. What is truth? Whatever you call truth defines everything about us and defines everything to us. If Jesus Christ is truth, and he is, then he defines everything about you and he defines everything to you. The world hates the truth. The world hates the truth because the truth says that sin is sin, that sin is evil, and the world doesn't wanna hear that. Have you noticed how today our world loves to call what is evil good? That's why the world hates the truth. Because the truth is we have all sinned and we have caused brokenness and we cannot heal what we've broken. We cannot undo what we've done. We cannot make it right. We don't have the power. Only God does. And the world doesn't wanna hear that. So the world has disregarded the truth. The truth is a person. The truth is Jesus Christ. John chapter one says this, beginning in verse nine. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus Christ is the truth. And he has been rejected, and he is being rejected. But for those who believe, who receive him, we become children of the Most High God. The gospel is the truth. Again, back to the text. Of this you have heard before, in the word of the truth, the gospel. What is the gospel? Again, I, I turn back to Wearsby. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ has solved the problem of sin through his death, burial, and resurrection. The word gospel means good news. It's a proclamation of reality. It's realized personally by grace through faith. We know that the whole world was created good by God. We see it in Genesis 1 and 2. Everything was in harmony. But we don't live in that world. We live in a world of brokenness. Why? One word, the word that the world hates, sin. Because we have disobeyed and dishonored God. That's what sin is. And because of sin, that's why we hurt. Some of you today, you have a broken heart because of sin. Some of you today, have, you've broken a heart because of your sin. Today, some of you are separated from God because of your sin. Some of you are separated from loved ones. Some of you have broken relationships because of sin. But here's the good news. Here's the gospel. God has entered into our reality to pay for our sin so that we can be right with God by grace through faith, which makes us right with ourselves so that we can be right with others and we can have peace. But that only happens when we believe the truth. When we believe that the word of truth, the gospel, Jesus Christ is who he says he is. And then we can pursue and recover God's design. It is then that the gospel is realized and it becomes actual in our existence. And faith and friends make that happen. Faith in Christ makes that happen. Friends in Christ, they form that with us and in us through faith. Second, faith and friends in Christ make the disciples of Jesus fruitful. Again, of this you have heard before in the word of truth. I'm sorry, look, I just keep reading it wrong. The word of the truth, the gospel, those definite articles. Verse six, which has come to you 
as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit. And, and that's what happens when the gospel comes. When, when, when Christ is real in your life, it's realized, and you have faith in Christ, you have friends in Christ, what happens is you begin to bear fruit and increasing as it does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. When the word of truth, the gospel becomes real in your life, it changes who you are. You are no longer a sinner. You are a saint by grace. You now are a child of the king. You are no longer an enemy of God. He's adopted you into his family. And that changes what you do. It changes how you live. Because you have been loved by such a great God so graciously, you can't help but love and therefore obey him. You say, well, I I'm not obeying him. Not, not as I should. And the reason is because you do not love him. The problem that we have with sin is not a willpower problem. It's a love power problem. Understand, to know Jesus is to love Jesus. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. So to love Jesus is to obey Jesus. If you are not obeying Jesus, it's because you don't love him. And if you don't love him, friends, it's because you don't know him. I, I wanna say it again. I, I, I say this often and I, I just wanna make sure you get this. To know Jesus is to love Jesus. To love Jesus is to obey Jesus. If you don't obey Jesus, it's because you don't love him. Please, please, please. If you are living in sin, it's not a willpower issue. It's a love power issue. You love yourself. You love your pleasure. You love your power. You love your popularity. You love your possessions more than you love Jesus. That's the simple reason why you're sinning and you continue to sin in the way you do. It's not a willpower issue. It's a love issue. Because if you love him, you obey him. And if you don't obey him, it's because you don't love him. And if you don't love him, it's because you don't know him. To know him is to love him. To see him crucified and raised. To know that he loves you that much is to love him. And to celebrate and delight in him. And to obey him. Which gives you the ability to accomplish God's divine purpose for your life. It makes you a fruit-bearing saint. Understand that if you come to know Jesus Christ and you, are, you have faith in Christ and friends in Christ, that's gonna change you in, in three different ways. I would use, I encourage you to write these words just to kind of think about it. Privately, personally, publicly. Privately, if you know Jesus and love him, then you are going to become more like him in thought and feelings. It says in 1 Corinthians 2.16 that we have the mind of Christ. We who have been given new life in Christ, those of us who have faith in Christ, we have the mind of Christ, which drives our affections, which gives us a heart as Christ. Privately, we have the mind and feelings of God. Personally, we have a different attitude and, and an action. People who know us well, they see a servant attitude. They see a loving attitude. They see a forgiving attitude. And the actions are revealed in the attitude because our minds and hearts are like Jesus's privately. Now, personally, our attitude and actions reflect his kindness and mercy and love. 
And then publicly, we pronounce him to be who he is. We pronounce the gospel. We celebrate the gospel. We tell people who he is. And the way we do that is we ask them, what's your story? How has God impacted your life? And then we share our story, how Christ impacted our life, and we share God's story, the Bible, creation, fall, rescue, restoration. And in that process, by the power of the Spirit, new life begins and disciples are made. Is that what you're doing with your life? Do the people who know you best, can they say that about you? What is being said here of these saints? Third thing you need to note, faith and friends in Christ make the servants of Jesus faithful. Look at this description of Epaphras. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Epaphras was a, a faithful disciple who makes disciples. And that's, that's what we are. If someone ever asks you, why do you go living hope? What's the big deal about living hope? Please share our vision. Our vision statement is this to be a family of disciples who make disciples. That's what we aspire to do and be. And we do that by leading more people to anchor their life in hope in Jesus. We, we do that through a practical way. And this is what Epaphras was doing. I thought it was interesting when I, I looked at this in the original language, it says, just as you learned it. And when I was looking at that word learned it, I, I was thinking that, that there was gonna be a different word there. And the word that I found there was menthano. It comes from the word methetes. Do you know the word methetes? It's our word for disciple. So what he's saying here is, as, as Epaphras discipled you, there was a transformation. Just as you learned it, were discipled in it from Epaphras, our, our, our beloved and faithful servant. Again, he was fulfilling what God commanded us to do. I'm gonna read this and I'm gonna ask you a very simple question. This is Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. You know what he just said right there? I'm the man. So if you're looking for the Pettus translation, I'm the man. Because Jesus Christ is the man, the God, the all, the all powerful, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Very simple question. Are you doing this? Are you discipling? Are you making disciples? Are you intentionally praying for lost people in your life? Are you asking them about their story, sharing your story, and telling the story of God? Are you, have you baptized anyone in your lifetime? Are you teaching anyone to observe all that the Lord has taught us? Are you making disciples? It's a yes or no. This is what is called the great commission. It is not the great suggestion. Either we do this or we don't. Either we obey or we don't. Obedience is an issue of love. Do you love God enough to obey him? Epaphras did. And so he's making disciples. He is a fellow servant. I love this word, soon do lost, soon being alongside of a, a fellow. And then Paul's favorite description of himself, do lost, servant. Listen to this definition of servant. A slave, one who is in a permanent relation of servitude to another, his will being altogether consumed in the will of the other. 
Does that describe you concerning Jesus Christ? I'm going to read it again. A slave, one who is in a permanent relation of servitude to another, his will being altogether consumed in the will of the other. Is your will consumed completely in the Lord's? Are you willing to say as Jesus, not what I will, but your will be done? I want to obey you. I will obey you no matter what it costs me because I love you, because you have loved me. Here is a fellow servant. Here is one who is a disciple maker, and he was a faithful, look at this word again, faithful minister. When I looked up the word minister, I did not find what I thought I would. I was thinking of a different Greek word. The word I found for, for, for the word minister there is diakinos. Diakinos. Do you know that word? Deacon. He was not the preaching pastor at the church at Colossae. He wasn't an overseer. He was a servant. He was a deacon. The word literally means, the word deacon literally means to stir up dirt. It literally means to be, to be so active that there's, 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 a, there's sort of a mess. And that's what, that's what ministers, that's what fellows, this is what they do. They, they step in and they're willing to join the mess to make it what it needs to be. You know, so often we see things on, on social media, we see things in the world, and we just think, I want that. I wish I had a family like that, a church like that, a ministry like that, a relationship like that. And we just think it just happens. Can I just tell you, behind every great ministry and marriage and life, there is a mess. It's messy. This is, uh, I posted this this week. Whenever I post pictures, I get, aw. When I post pictures of myself, I don't get any responses like that. <laughs> now, I'm gonna tell you, this is a good dog. I love this dog. Best dog ever. Not, you know, I'm, just, I'm not bragging, it's just true. Just deal with it. But can I tell you what I don't post pictures of from this guy? Is what I found in the yard yesterday. <laughs> We've been feeding the animal and nature has been calling with a vengeance. I would say. There had to have been five pounds of this stuff. <laughs> now with this comes a mess. With faith in Christ and friends in Christ comes a mess. Deacons are those who stir up that they get in the mess. You know, there are so many who have left our fellowship because of the mess. I cannot tell you how many lead, folks that are leaders or, or could be leaders in our church that said, hey, we'd love to. You've been nominated to lead. There's been people that we see your leadership and they've said to me literally, I just don't want to get bogged down. I just don't want to get in the mess. I know once I get in there, I'm gonna, it's, it's, gonna be, it's gonna be messy. There's gonna be stuff I'm not gonna wanna have to hear about. I don't wanna have to deal with that. And I get it. Because I'm gonna tell you something. Your, your pastor is a mess. And your leaders are a mess. And you know what you are? Say it with me. You are a, yeah. And you know what? There's a lot of people say, I don't want to be a part of that. I don't like the decision. I don't like the attitude. I don't like the way they did this. I don't like the this. I don't like the blah, 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 blah. When I hear stuff like that, and then I read what they said to that young man before he was baptized, when others curse you, hit you, arrest you, imprison you, or threaten to kill you, will you not turn back? Friends, be faithful. 
Be faithful to your small group. Be faithful to your ministry. Serve. Be faithful. Be faithful in your marriage. Be faithful to your friends. Be faithful. Because of your faith in Christ and your friends in Christ, be faithful. And don't walk away when it gets messy. Hey, when it gets messy, say, well, good, I belong here. This is the will of God. This is how we find the purpose of God. Not in walking away, but doing what Epaphras did. Engaging. Being a part of what God is doing. And the only way that's going to happen is if we're unified. What do we need to be unified in? Write it down. Let me look at this with you. Faith and friends in Christ make the church of Jesus unified. Look in verse 8. And has made known to us your love in the Spirit. What unifies us is not our, the color of our skin or our language or our backgrounds or our stories or our political opinions or anything else. There's one thing that unifies us, and that was given to us. Romans 5.5, 5, after having talked about the power of hope, uh, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul drops this down on us. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love. What unifies us is God's love in the Spirit. If the Spirit of God is alive in you, then you have been bound with others in Christ with love. And again, our greatest problem, hear me today, your greatest problem today is not your problem. Do not think for one moment, if you could get healthy, if you could figure out the, the, the answer to the, the big question, if you, that's not your problem. Let me tell you, our greatest problem today, and if we would do this, everything would be different. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. If you and I would do that, seek first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6, and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Then God's divine purpose is revealed. But if it's just about information, if it's just about showing up and checking off the list, if it's just about having this religious thing, this religious experience, you've missed it. What makes our faith in Christ and friends in Christ, what makes this all come together for God's glory is as we experience God's divine purpose in the unity of love. And we share this across so many boundaries, so-called boundaries. I, I talked to um, Moses, our friend in India last week, and he was telling me about all these new churches that have been planted and, and how he needs our help to come and train their leaders. I, I talked to uh, one of our guys who used to be in Southern Europe, he's now in Germany. He sent me a picture of the church that he just planted. And he said, would you pray for us? These brothers that, that are of a different color, have a different background. By the way, that church that's being planted in Germany, made up of all former Muslims. Today, Nathan, our middle school minister, and Clay, our missions pastor, are in Europe. And they left with a certificate, a global license from Living Hope Baptist Church. Because there's a man there that you and I are supporting with our tithes and offerings who has planted several dozen churches, several dozen Living Hope Baptist churches in Europe. And so we thought probably ought to certify him in this work. You know what bounds us together? It's not our culture. It's not our politics. It's not our color. 
It's our Christ. His love in us. And when we have faith in Christ and friends in Christ, we get to experience that love. It's messy, it's hard, it's difficult, and it's everything glorious that is making us who Christ died for us to be. Is that you? If you are not in Christ, then it's not. And the best thing you can do today is get on your knees and ask Jesus to take over your life. Some of you claim to be Christians. Let me ask you, are you fully obeying God? If not, you're in sin. And and you need to not just say, Lord, I commit, I'm gonna work harder. No, 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 no. You need to come and say, Lord, my love is not strong enough. Please change my heart. I need more love. You have a need today? I have a need. I have a couple of needs. I'm tired. I'm growing weary. I've been praying all morning. Some of you are weary. You're tired. Do not grow weary in doing good. Some of you know of needs, and that's kind of where my weariness is coming from today, is the unbelievable needs of brokenness in our own body. Would you come and pray for those who are hurting that you know and ask God to heal them? Because he can. It may very well be that you're here today simply to pray for them. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you that you are so good to us. You call us to the altar. You call us to come to you and to get on our knees and to ask for you to do what only you can do. And some today need to come and they need to give you their life and ask for your forgiveness and be made new, become disciples of Jesus. Lord, there are some who are here today who are your disciples, but Lord, there's a lack of faithfulness and it's, it's not a discipline issue, it's a love issue. Would you today hear them as they ask for more love? And then, Lord, many of us know of hurting hearts, broken relationships, sickness and pain. Lord, we need your divine intervention. And so as those come to ask for it, would you provide? Come and pray.